It's a, it's a delight to see you. Now you can hear me. It's a delight to be with you. I'm so glad for the privilege of meeting with you all. Glad to see Bill and Gladys Vermeulen there. Because when I lived in Michigan last century, this church wasn't here. What is now Harvest Church was just a tiny little group called Grig Street Chapel. And there was a church in Spencer Mills. The Spencer Mills Church was there. There was a tiny little church plant in Kalamazoo. And it's been exciting to see what the Lord has done. Uh, and not just in the OPC, but in other denominations as well in this region. And so we're very, very grateful uh, for his faithfulness. And that's our hope. Uh, please look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Hear God's word. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, uh, that, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray together. O living and true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we reflect on your word tonight, we pray that you would uh, grant the gracious working of your Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts, uh, so that we would understand your word and so that we would uh, receive it in faith, uh, that it might take deep root in our hearts and bear abiding fruit in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. In the movie, there was a movie uh, called Falling Down, which tells about a bad day that a fellow was having a he started out as a, he's a law-abiding citizen, but he was uh, stuck in a traffic jam on a very hot day in Los Angeles. His air conditioning uh, stopped working in his car, and the traffic was going nowhere. And he finally just snaps and gets out of his car and starts walking away, and things go from bad to worse. And as he runs into various people, they treat him mean, and he He's finally run out of his ability to care anymore, and he starts responding in kind, and then it escalates and escalates until he winds up in this murder spree. Finally, at the end of the day, uh, the police catch him, and as, as his hands are up and there's this sort of this showdown, uh, he finally, finally comes to his senses and he says, I'm the bad guy? How did that happen? I did everything they told me to do. He had been a law-abiding citizen. He thought he was a good guy. He thought he was just responding to other people being bad, but then it suddenly dawns on him, I'm the bad guy? Well, that's sort of what's been happening to Christians in North America in the last uh, three to five years, we're sort of waking up and realizing 
Everybody in our culture, not everybody, but the vast majority of our culture seems to perceive us as the bad guys. We thought we were the good guys. We thought we were the hope. But what happened? How did this happen to us? And there are scholarly books that speak about how it happened or what to do about it. And that's what I especially want to talk about. Uh, Our society sees us as the bad guys. Think especially of LGBTQ uh, plus types of things. Uh, People have adopted basically a new religion, uh, seeing sexual freedom as the the road to heaven on earth. And Christians with their old-fashioned morality, their Bible morality, as obstacles in the way. No longer just other guys, no longer just kooky guys, but bad guys standing in the way. It's not the first time God's people have found themselves in a hostile situation. And if you've got access to a Bible, I sort of sneaked a a different scripture. I'm I'm going to preach on Daniel chapter 1. And so if you've got access to a Bible, please look with me at Daniel chapter 1. But I wanted to read it not ahead of time, but as we go through it. Christians have been floundering around wondering, what are we supposed to do in this in this situation in which we find ourselves, uh, society is becoming more anti-Christian. We're losing our civil rights. At least they're being threatened. Uh, should, we, uh, should we fight fire with fire and try to overpower our enemies? Well, there's no shortage of those who are, who are advocating that. Uh, should we just, just knuckle, knuckle under? Should we keep our heads down? Should we go along to get along? Should we compromise? And there's no shortage of believers who are advocating that. Or should we head for the hills and hide out until things change? And there's no shortage of advocates uh, for that. But I think God gives us a different example, uh, a different command, first in the Scripture we read from 1 Peter 2, uh, but an example uh, in Daniel and his companions. And there, there are three points and then an application that I wanted to make. So first of all, as we find ourselves in a situation like this, keep entrusting yourself to your faithful Savior as He sovereignly controls all things. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Thus far the scriptures. Now this was 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar had defeated King Nebo of Egypt in the battle of Carchemish. And Babylon, with that battle, became a great world power. Now... As part of the background, God had warned his people in Leviticus and Deuteronomy uh, that he brought them into the promised land and that they were to be faithful to him and that if they were, there were blessings that he would pour out upon them. But if they were unfaithful, there were curses uh, that he would pour out upon them. And his people kept sinning. 
So God kept sending prophets to keep pointing out their sins, to keep giving them gospel promises, to keep repeating God's warnings to them, to keep calling them to repentance. But God's people kept persisting in their sins. And so about a hundred years before uh, this incident in Daniel 1, God had made a very specific prophecy through his prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 39, verses 5, and 7, 5 through 7. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. A hundred years before, that sounded so outlandish. That's ridiculous. How could that ever happen? But we read in Daniel 1, verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave. And that's either scary or comforting. Because it means that God is sovereign over all the affairs of mankind. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. The Lord is in control of it all. Everything is in the Lord's hands, and the Lord's hands are in everything. And if you're not right with God, that's a horrifying fact because it means there's no escape from the living God. No matter what we try to do, we can't hide from the living God. I'm often amazed at how, we, how people fear uh, natural disasters and try to escape natural disasters, which is logical. We should try to escape natural disasters. But when you read the book of Revelation, you see that in the last days when the Lord returns in power and glory, people will pray for natural disasters to take them away before the Lord can get hold of them. Have a mountain fall on top of me, bury me in the bottom of the sea. But there's no escape, not even a natural disaster. But when the Lord is your Savior... When you're following the Lord in faith, it's a comforting fact. And the Heidelberg Catechism puts it so beautifully in its first question and answer. My only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation." Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Do you know that comfort? Are you following Jesus in faith? If you are, then your life is hid with Christ in God, and you're safe no matter what happens in this world. And if you're not, I urge you, get right with God. Call on Jesus to be your Savior. Keep entrusting yourself to your faithful Savior as He sovereignly controls all things. The encouragement is, we're not here by accident, are we? Our society has become more and more hostile, and it seems to be heading uh, farther in that direction with no slowing down. 
But this is not an accident. The Lord has raised us up for just this time. He has put us in just this place at just this time. And it's our calling uh, to follow Him. But we need His strength to do it. So keep entrusting yourself to your faithful Savior. Second, keep guarding your heart against the shaping efforts of the world. Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Listen to God's word. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Thus far God's word. And so the king selected the cream of the crop, these young uh, men who would have gone to the Olympics, who would have gone to the Ivy League schools, who were really the promising ones of the land, of the royal family and of the nobility, and drags them off. And what you need to know is that these guys were probably 13 or 14 years old. So you young people, you kids, think about that. What if somebody kidnapped you when you're only 13 or 14 years old and takes you way across the world to another land, a very pagan land, where people speak a whole different language and live a whole different way and have a whole different set of values? And you're supposed to conform to them. That's the expectation here. And we see in this passage, as well as through Scripture and through experience, uh, that the world plays good cop and bad cop. You've seen detective shows, and you probably know what I mean by that, uh, where policemen are interviewing a suspect, and one uh, plays the nice guy that's going to help out the, the suspect, and the other plays... Uh, the bad guy who's sure that the suspect is guilty and is trying to strong-arm him into a, into a confession. Well, that's what the world did with Daniel and his companions. Uh, it, in fact, it sort of treated them to the good cop approach. First of all, we'll re-educate you. It's a three-year intensive study program. And secondly, we'll change your identity. Daniel, the name Daniel means my judge is El, or God. But his name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, the chief god, Marduk, is my protector. See, it takes a name that's based on God, the God of the Bible, and exchanges it with a name that's based on a pagan god. Hananiah means Yah, or Yahweh, is gracious. That name was changed to Shadrach, under the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael means who is like God. His name was changed to Meshach, who is like Aku, the moon god. Azariah means Yah or Yahweh is my helper. 
And he changed that name to Abednego, which means I serve Nabu, the pagan god of vegetation. So they were changing the identity of these young men. Can you imagine that? You, your parents have high hopes for you. Uh, they, they have you baptized. The Lord's name and claim is put on you. And someone else drags you off and tries to completely sever you uh, from your roots and from your connection to God. John Calvin made this comment about this scripture. The king's design was to lead these young men to adopt the customs of the Babylonians so that they might have nothing in common with God's chosen people. It was trying to get them to conform uh, to the pagan world. And that's the way it still is. The world is still pressuring God's redeemed people to fit into its own mold. And how does it do it? Well, it still plays good cop, bad cop with God's people. If you conform, if you go along to get along, then you'll receive rewards, pleasant consequences. But if you refuse to conform, if you say no, then you'll receive punishments, unpleasant consequences. I read about sports coaches being fired because they won't uh, salute to the LGBTQ agenda or athletes not being permitted to play or even being kicked off their team for the same reason. Or there was one case where the CEO of a company actually was uh, fired because he wouldn't conform to that agenda. Good cop, bad cop. So first of all, keep entrusting yourself to your faithful Savior as he sovereignly controls all things. Remember that and hope in that. Secondly, keep guarding your heart against the shaping efforts of the world. And third, keep devoting yourself to say no to the pressures of the world. Look at verses 8 through 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you food, your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our, our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Thus far, God's word. So Daniel and his companions devoted themselves to say no to the pressures of the world. And among themselves, they'd encourage each other in the Lord. Uh, they would use their Hebrew names. They'd read Scripture together. They'd pray together. They'd fellowship together. They kept encouraging one another to walk with the Lord, to stay faithful to the Lord. And whether in private or in public, they resisted eating the king's food. And brothers and sisters, this is why discipling our children 
in the faith is so very important. From their earliest years, uh, they need to see how important uh, the Lord is to their parents and to their, uh, their church family. It's, it's part of the job of the whole church family uh, to help raise the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to try to encourage the parents as they uh, do their part, uh, but to try to encourage the children as well, uh, that they would see how important the Lord is to you and to this body of believers, and how important faith in the Lord and following the Lord and faithfulness to the Lord is to you. This is also why communing with God is so very important. Do you get your sense of who you are from the world around, or do you get your sense of who you are from God himself? How important it is to know that what God thinks about you is more important than what the world thinks about you, and not just to know it in your head, but to feel it in your heart. Communing with God is so important that we recognize that He's our, our all in all. And our lives are hidden with Christ in Him. And this is also why fellowshipping with your fellow believers is so very important. Remember how Dan, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah encouraged each other. Uh, sociologists speak about the importance of a plausibility structure. If you have others who believe the same as you and you reinforce that in each other, it's a much stronger easier position to, to maintain your faith in than if you're isolated from others and you start to feel, I'm, I must be crazy. I'm the only one who thinks this way or feels this way. And that's why the world, energized by the devil, tries to isolate believers from one another. But he, the, it cannot isolate us from the living God or from the Holy Spirit. And so, we must commune with God and we must fellowship with one another as much as we can. Hebrews 10 says this, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, encouraging one another. We need encouragement from our fellow believers and they need encouragement from us. And this helps us to realize uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 in our lives, where the Lord says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's what, just what we see in the rest of chapter 1 of Daniel. So first, sorry, keep entrusting yourself to your faithful Savior. Keep guarding yourself. Sorry, I've got myself mixed up. Whether in private or public, they resisted eating the king's food. That's, why did they do that? Not because it was unlawful, but in order to avoid idolatry. And also, I think they resisted these luxuries so that they wouldn't get soft and beholden and get enticed into compromise. So for the sake of Jesus Christ and a reliance on God's grace, keep saying no 
to the pressures of the world. Or as we read in 1 Peter 2, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So through ongoing fellowship with God and God's people, keep cultivating your identity with Christ. Uh, consider, consider abstaining, at least at times, from luxuries that aren't necessarily sinful. When you read through the book of Daniel, you see that eventually Daniel did go to eating the king's food because the king's food wasn't sinful in and of itself. But there is another time in the book of Daniel where he abstained again. There are many pleasures in this world that aren't necessarily sinful. TV, video games, foods, cell phones, streaming services, and so on and so forth. But they can have the effect of getting you too used to the world. They can have the effect of making you more pliable when the world tries to squeeze you into its mold. Like Pinocchio. Do you remember the story of Pinocchio? The, the book is actually much darker than the Disney movie. After Pinocchio ran away from home, he came to Pleasure Island Amusement Park with some other boys, and it was on an island. And on that island, uh, the boys could eat, they could do whatever they wanted. They could eat anything they wanted, all the candy they wanted, all the ice cream they wanted. They could drink as much pop as they wanted. In fact, in the, in the original book, they could even uh, smoke and drink beer and hard liquor. They could fight. They could vandalize. They could do whatever they wanted. But what they did not know was that Pleasure Island was actually a trap. All this stuff was just the bait. So once the boys were bad for a while, acting like jackasses for a while, they'd literally turn into donkeys. First their laughing would turn into braying, and then their ears would turn into donkey ears, and they'd grow a tail, and they'd grow fur, and their hands and feet would turn into hooves, their face would turn into a donkey face, and they'd lose their ability to talk, and they'd be walking on all fours, and they'd be donkeys, and the bad guys would then round them up and sell them to the salt mines or to circuses or other places, which is an illustration, but a scary illustration of the progress of sin. Makes me think of the old saying, it's, it's a warning from one point of view, a promise from another. So a thought, reap an act. So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Now that is a warning. As Scripture says, do not be deceived, you will reap what you sow. Starting with just thoughts can build a character, a direction of life, a destiny. But it's not just a warning, it's also a promise. You will reap what you sow. If you sow good seeds, you will reap good fruit because the living God really does honor those who honor them. And, and we see this in Daniel and his companions. They trusted God, they put God first. And what was the upshot? Look at verses 17 through 20. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they, that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians 
and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So as Daniel and his friends sought to be faithful to God, they did do their studies, uh, but they did it on their terms, refusing to compromise. God blessed them so that they were superior to their companions. And as a result, uh, the four got put into high positions uh, where they could use their influence for the living God. Uh, The Lord could entrust them with such promotions because they had learned to trust and obey Him in everything, even when it meant risking their lives. In fact, Daniel stayed in such a position for 70 years. Look at verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. A whole different empire. Many believers yearn for higher positions, better positions. They tell themselves, oh, if only I were somewhere else doing something else, I could serve the Lord so much better. I went to Geneva College. I met a young lady who I'm married to uh, now, but at that time I wanted to see what was going to happen. I graduated. She was still a student, so I decided I'm just going to get a job and stick around here and, and pursue this relationship. Trouble was, jobs were kind of scarce. Here I was, a college graduate, and the job I found was being a janitor in the hospital. And I was discouraged about that. And there was one time when I felt especially low about it, thinking, what a miserable failure I am. And I was at church, and the pastor was preaching, and I, 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 didn't, I can't remember anything about the sermon except this. I know that he was preaching on the parable of the dishonest manager, uh, but he read this verse. And if the Lord had torn the ceiling off of the church and shouted, Larry Wilson, and said this verse, it wouldn't have spoken to me more directly than it did. I, I knew the Lord was speaking to me from this verse. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is unfaithful in very little is also unfaithful in much. Like I said, if the Lord had spoken, uh, shouting, echoing all through the building, saying, Larry Wilson, it wouldn't have hit me more directly than it did because I realized that the Lord was teaching me, look, if you can't even mop floors to my glory, how can you expect me to trust you with bigger things than that? It changed my whole attitude, my whole approach, Uh, to my job. None of us can make a different position or a different place count for God unless we live for Him right now, right where we are, right no matter how big or small. Um, As Francis Schaeffer liked to say, there are no little people and there are no little places in God's kingdom. And think about it this way. What if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not learned to serve the Lord no matter what in the little things would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be ready to face the fiery furnace? Would Daniel be ready to face the den of lions? Neither will we. If we're not willing to stand up and be counted for the Lord in the little things, how will we ever do so over bigger things? Can we really be faithful in much without first being faithful in little? Even if we can't resist relatively small Temptations, how will we stand when they're ramped up? 
This is just Larry Wilson's opinion, so don't take it as any more than that. But I, some, I have wondered if this whole COVID episode that we went through in the last several years was just the Lord lobbing a softball to us, warning us of bigger trials to come. How well did we do with it? I'm not sure we did as well as we should have. Everywhere I go, churches are having struggles that are kind of the aftermath of what took place in those last uh, several years. Well, R.C. Sproul had a slogan that we do well to memorize and take to heart. Right now counts forever. Every moment, right now counts forever. How were Daniel and his friends able to stand so firm? They kept entrusting themselves to their faithful Savior who is sovereign over all. They kept guarding their hearts against the shaping efforts of the world. They kept persisting in saying no to the pressures of the world. But here's the fourth and final point. Where did they get the motivation and strength to do this and to keep it up? We get a two-part answer to this question. It's not just where did they get it, but it's more relevant if we ask it this way. Where do we get the motivation and strength to do this and to keep it up. And we get a two-part answer from Daniel himself. First of all, Daniel 9 verse 2 gives us the first part. Daniel 9 verse 2 says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Daniel kept listening to God's word. Daniel kept reading and meditating on and praying over God's word. That's the first part, and and it implies the second part. As we read through the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel kept praying to the Lord Even when it meant getting thrown into the lion's den, Daniel refused to stop praying to the Lord. You see, Daniel could stand firm for the Lord in a hostile world because Daniel stood firm with the Lord. Daniel was strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And how did Daniel receive the strength of the Lord's might? He kept listening to God's word and he kept praying. I call this spiritual breathing. Keep breathing in God's Word. Keep breathing out your prayers. If you're ever in an accident and you're, and you're traumatized and the, emergency, the first responder gets there, one of the things you'll hear them say is, keep breathing. Even if you can only breathe shallow breaths, even if your breathing is ragged, keep breathing. And I say the same thing for us spiritually. No matter what happens, no matter what shape we're in, keep breathing. Keep breathing in God's Word. Keep breathing out your prayers. Uh, Keep breathing in God's Word. Keep breathing out your prayers. These are the simple but sure means of connecting with God that we need to keep stressing and re-stressing today. It's too easy to think that the secret of Christian living lies in our having new and dramatic experiences of God. And the fact is, the Lord can give uh, dramatic experiences. Daniel did have amazing experiences of, of the Lord. But Daniel did not seek those experiences. Daniel sought the Lord. He kept breathing in God's Word, 
breathing out his prayers. And he didn't seek the Lord for what the Lord might do for him, but he sought the Lord for the Lord's sake. He enjoyed communing with God, getting to know him and his will from his word and relying on him and communing with him in prayer. He enjoyed fellowshipping with God's people, giving encouragement to them, receiving encouragement from them. In other words, he did all these things in reliance on the triune God of grace. And now the triune God of grace has brought us to this very time and this very place in which we find ourselves. We're exactly where God has designed us to be and where God has put us. It's not an accident. And yes, our world is becoming more and more hostile to the faith. And yes, our world is becoming more and more anti-Christian. And yes, it is more and more treating those who want to stay faithful to God as the bad guys. But we don't have to panic. We don't have to cast about trying to put our confidence in the arm of the flesh. No, we can stand firm for God by standing firm with God through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And with trust that God will stand with us and that God will stand for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray together. O living and true God, we thank you that you are the sovereign God and you are our loving Savior and you are our heavenly Father and that not a hair can fall from our heads apart from your will but in fact, everything must work together for our good because you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So give us grace to trust you, to entrust ourselves to you, to guard our hearts for your sake, and to guard our lives uh, from conformity to the world for your sake. Give us the strength to say no when the world tells us uh, to disobey or to turn from you. For Jesus' sake, amen.